Welcome to week four of our sermon series called Renewed. In this series, each week we've looked at different ways that we could really embody that call of Jesus when uh, Jesus told us that I've come that you might have life, that you could have life to the full or the abundant life. And so we've looked at several different things that get in the way of us living out the abundant life. And so we've talked a lot about the importance of a renewed spirit. And you remember that in our very first session together in this series, we talked about that repentance is necessary for us to become right with God and have a right spirit with God. The second week of this series, we talked about a renewed purpose, and we really uh, spent a lot of time talking about the importance of examining ourselves and really reflecting on what is it that God has for me to do in the world. Of course, last week we renewed our love for God, and we talked about how important a renewed love is. Well, today I want to talk about the fourth idea, and this has to do with the concept of a renewed mind. In some ways, this is the most personal of the five series uh, of sermons. It's the one that really challenges us where we live, because it gets at the things that we allow to run through that uh, space of our, our, between our ears, we let run through there throughout the day, and the things that we mull over and that we think, and it really challenges our, our thought process in a lot of ways. Well, there's a tremendous passage of the Bible that has a lot to say about this concept of renewing our minds. And I'd like for you, if you have your Bibles or your device, to to take a look at this passage in Romans chapter 12. Many consider this one of the the golden chapters of the Bible. While all the chapters of the Bible are good and and there's nothing that the Lord has written that, uh, that doesn't have benefit for us, This is one of those chapters that just really seems to be practical, to grab hold of us, and to really make us, well, to make us think. Here's what it says in the opening part of Romans 12. It says, therefore, I urge you. I want to start with that word urge for a moment, because Paul doesn't use this word very often. Uh, He has used it in some other spaces as an example in the book of Acts, when the ship that they're on is about to crash, and, and Paul is with the people. He urges the people on that boat. He says, you need to eat some food. We're about to crash. Uh, Bad things are coming. And he says, I'm urging you. You got to get ready for what's coming. There was urgency. It's a word that he uses. He reserves it for times of of emergency, of danger. Uh, He says, this is something important. Please listen to what I'm saying to you. And so when Paul opens this chapter and he he, he says, I urge you, he's giving us a clue that this really matters. And so for the next 20 minutes or so, I hope you'll consider that, that what Paul wrote here is something that Christians, especially Christians, really, really need to consider. So I urge you, he said, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, this is the second clue into how we're supposed to look at this chapter, right? And he says, I want you to look at everything else that happens here through a lens. And that lens, as he goes on to say, is a lens of mercy, it is a lens of sacrifice, it's a lens of holiness, and it's considering, as we look at our life, as we look at the world, as we look at what we do, we look at what we say, we look at what we think, we're looking at it through this lens that says, what pleases God and what doesn't please God? So he says, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Paul says, this is what God expects. 
the things I'm going to write to you, these are the things that God expects. So don't look at things and don't do things the way that everyone else in the world does them. At the heart of his challenge, he says, do things and look at things from the perspective of God and what God wants. He doubles down on the next verse and he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, now check it out, by the renewing of your mind. Your mind being made new, challenging us to think in a new way. And I want you to know that in this part of the series, I believe that today. Some of us, we really do have to take a hard look at some things and say, you know what, I need to think about things differently. If we do that, then what Paul says next is very, is very true. If you allow God to renew your mind, to change your thinking a little bit, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Again, he's emphasizing that the way we think about things matters here. And right away, he's going he's to make a point to us that, that if we're going to have a renewed mind, it will have to become a mature mind. We have to grow up in our thinking a little bit. It's an appeal that Paul makes over and over and over in his letters. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We speak a message of wisdom among the mature, not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Or Ephesians 4.15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Or Philippians 3.15, all of us then who are mature should take such a thing, a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And I like this one from Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So before I really even get started in this message, let me say something. I want to acknowledge that there may be some in this room uh, who are brand new to faith. You're brand new to it. You're, you're a relatively new Christian. Now, you might be 70 years old, but if you've just come to faith in Christ, the Bible calls you a spiritual infant, a baby. And it's okay to be a baby. It's okay to start there. We all have to start there. If that's you, then know that you are loved. Know that I, as your minister and, and our elders and our staff here, we want to give you lots of opportunities to learn and to grow and to mature in Christ. And we have lots of grace and forgiveness for brand new Christians, knowing that just like babies learning to walk, you fall down a lot in the beginning. So it's okay if you are a new Christian and you don't know all the Bible stories yet and you don't know where to find things in the Bible, just hang in there, keep praying, keep studying, keep worshiping, keep engaging and listening to the sermons and your faith and your maturity in Christ will quickly come. But let me also say this this morning, and I'm not picking on any one person here, I have no single individual in mind, but let me say this. I believe there are probably some among us 
who have been stuck in the infancy stage for way too long. Sometimes the problem's not one of knowledge, it's one of wisdom. You see, wisdom involves the application of knowledge. It's how we apply what we hear and we read in God's Word. And if that's your circumstance sometimes, you're not unlike the scholars of Jesus' day. They knew the Scriptures. They knew them inside and out. They could tell you who was the grandson of which king and who was married to who and how long they reigned. They could tell you all of that. They could tell you with detail what it said in the laws of Leviticus. They had it all down. But they were unable to apply that knowledge in a way that enabled them to accept that Jesus was the Son of God. In fact, their refusal to accept Jesus proved that they had a kind of immaturity. There's another way of looking at it. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and that is that they were blinded to the truth that was right in front of them. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 4, verse 4. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, they needed to heed the teaching uh, that Paul would give in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It was that when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childhood ways behind me. They were unwilling to mature to the point of accepting that Jesus was who he said he was. Maybe that's your story, and, and maybe you can relate to those years of, of immaturity. I, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you the story, but I need to tell you a story at this point, because it, it highlights what it's like in the beginning and, and how we sometimes believe something, but we, we really don't have all the facts. So when I was growing up, I was very fortunate to grow up in the cocoon of faith. I had godly grandparents and parents around me and spent a lot of time in Sunday school growing up. And so I came to believe something very firmly, even though I'd heard stories that babies came from storks bringing them to the house I had heard in the story of Jesus that the Spirit of God overshadowed Mary and she had a baby. And that's all I really needed to know. And I would hear them say, well, what a blessing, so-and-so has a baby. I thought, oh, well, God has done another miracle. Another baby's going to be born. And that's how I came to see that. That's what I thought that about how babies got here. Now, don't get me wrong, even as I mature, I still think God knits us together in the womb, so I still think he has a hand in conception. But having said that, clearly... I came to a different understanding to understand that that event with Mary was a one-time event. And that wasn't the ordinary event, it was the extraordinary event. It was immature thinking, but in time I came to see things differently. But in the beginning we have limited knowledge, an incomplete knowledge. When we have an incomplete knowledge, there are other things that we sometimes get wrong. And as children, a second thing that we see happen a lot is we become very uh, self-centered. In the beginning of our, of our lifespan, the world is really much more about what can people do for me than what can I do for people. Uh, and it's natural because we start our lives as infants totally dependent on other people. 
But moving from dependency to independence is a big part of, of that journey towards adulthood and towards, well, towards maturity. But children tend to be very self-centered. Probably you've all been in the grocery store and we've seen, or God forbid one of your own children did it, right? That total meltdown when you wouldn't buy them a candy bar or a pack of gum at the checkout line. And, and you would think that you know, it was the most horrific thing that had ever happened in all of humanity, the way the child screams and yells because they didn't get their way. I wish that only happened among children, but we could each probably imagine a circumstance where we've heard adults scream and rant just about as loud. So, childhood brings a lot of different thoughts at us. Selfishness, incomplete thinking, and sometimes it brings some unexamined beliefs. In fact, I think a renewed mind requires us to examine what we believe. Belief matters. I grew up in the age where they came out for the first time with bubble yum, bubble gum. Boy, that was the best stuff. Big chunk of chewing gum filled your mouth. I loved it until I was about the eighth grade. In the eighth grade, there was a bubble yum scare that I'm sure it ran all through Lynchburg Clay uh, Junior High School and probably across the country because if you didn't hear this, bubble yum, bubble gum had spider eggs in it. Now, I'm sure that's not really true, but we believed it. We believed that that was the truth. And because we believed it, I, for a short time, put down my favorite chewing gum. Similar things happen. When we grow up, there's a lot of belief we inherit from our parents and our grandparents and our friends. Some of what we inherit is a godly understanding. And some of what we inherit is a worldly understanding. Now, most likely, if you grew up here in the Midwest, it's a little bit of both. Because there's a lot of inherent and inherited Christian belief in the Midwest, but there's also a lot of other stuff that maybe isn't so good. We love those things like the importance of hard work. We learned that in the Midwest. It's a, it's a value that we hold on to, especially in rural communities. Or looking out for your neighbor. Those are things that we, we I hope, we embrace as important beliefs. So there's a lot of good stuff. But there are also some childish beliefs, some immature beliefs that we grab onto, and sometimes we carry them all the way through life. I mean, maybe they're beliefs about how we see the opposite sex, or maybe they're beliefs about people from other towns or states or even countries. I mean, I'm not proud of it, but there was a time I had some pretty bad thoughts about people from Greensburg, Indiana. And... I can't even say what some of us had heard growing up folks from Kentucky and other places. Worse yet, sometimes we come to have beliefs about different races of people. Some of that happens here in the Midwest too. But when we renew our minds, well then we take on the mind of Christ. And we grow to see all the circumstances, the situations, and the people around us differently. For this is how Christ sees things. We read this beautiful passage in Galatians, and, and we want to take this to heart. This is, Paul's going to give us a, a, a mature look, a mature view of how we look at others. Not how the world looks at them. Not how we sometimes come to look at them, but how Jesus looks at people. Here's Here's Christ. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, we see that 
All children of God through faith, we see that all of us were baptized into Christ. We've clothed ourselves with Christ. So therefore, there is now neither, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no difference. There's no slave or free. Uh, there's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says, listen, we come to a point where we once thought that some people were better than other people because of how they looked or what sex they were or where they were from. But in Christ, we come to see that all people are important. And there's no one that's unimportant to God. But sadly, there are still a lot of people in the world that don't take on the thinking of Jesus. They don't take on the mind of Christ. They keep a fleshly mind, an immature mind, a problematic mind with problematic thinking that leads, well, it leads to lots of problems. Consider how Paul describes this very notion in the book of Romans in the 8th chapter in the 5th verse. Paul said, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. <laughs> oh, friends, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the person without the Spirit of God does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit, that is the Spirit of Christ living in their heart, in their mind, in their being, they make judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? No, but Paul says, we, that is Christians, we are at least supposed to have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is very, very different from the mind of the world. Let's go back to our primary text for a moment, Romans chapter 12. And this time, let's begin in verse 9, and, and we'll just read a series of verses here and listen to what a renewed mind might look like and how it would play out in our actions, in our attitudes, in our behaviors. This is what he says happens if we have a Christ-like mind. He says, if we have that, first of all, we'll love, and that love will be sincere, that we'll hate what is evil and we'll cling to what is good. We'll be devoted to one another in love. We'll honor one another above ourselves. Why, we'll never be lacking in zeal, but we'll keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We'll be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. We'll be faithful in prayer. We'll share with the Lord's people who are in need. We'll practice hospitality. Here it gets really hard. This is where I talk about maturity. This isn't what comes naturally. This is what we have to work towards. We'll learn to bless those who persecute us. We'll learn to bless and not to curse. We'll learn to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We'll learn how to live in harmony with one another. We won't be proud, but we'll be willing to associate with people of low position. We won't be conceited. No one will repay anyone evil for evil. In fact, we'll be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. For as Paul tells us, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, 
You should live at peace with everyone. And we wouldn't take revenge. We'd leave room for God to do God's work. For God says, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. Here's the hard part. On the contrary, if we have a renewed mind, if we have the mind of Christ, if our enemy is hungry, we'll feed them. If our enemy is thirsty, we'll give them something to drink. In doing this, we heap coals on their head. And Paul's admonition is, don't be overcome by evil. If you do all these things, you'll overcome evil with good. Wow. Did you catch all of that? Honor others above yourself. Bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another. Associate with people of low position. Live at peace with everyone. Give comfort to your enemies. And come on. I mean, are you kidding me? Who really does that stuff? I'll tell you who. Jesus does. Jesus does those things. And if we really renew our minds and we truly mature to become like Christ, that's what we'll do as well. You see, when we are truly renewed, our situation becomes like that the Apostle Paul wrote about. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. In fact, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And later in the same book, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. But I know I'm not always there, and probably you're not either. And sadly, I know it firsthand. I see it on Facebook posts. I hear it in parking lot conversations. I hear it in conversations at the JC and in the Kroger Deli Department. I know that there are Christians, there are even members of our own church, and perhaps even I myself am guilty at times. We label people, we condemn people, we have names for other people because we don't like the way they think or the way that they vote or the way that they act. We don't like their view about masks or vaccines or politics or you name whatever it might be. And sometimes we say some pretty ugly things. In fact, there are some things that I have seen and heard. I pray those we're talking about never hear. Because if they hear them, they might actually think we don't care about them and we don't love them. And something much more insidious is at play as well. The thing I find most disturbing about some of the Facebook posts that I see is that on the same Facebook page, there have been wonderful verses about where you've, you've quoted a Bible verse for the day and how wonderful Jesus is and how great God is and how it just changed everything. And then a few weeks later, in a different frame of mind, there's this long rant that rips into these people and has all kinds of horrible things to say. Man, I really hope the people we're talking about don't see those accounts. 
Because if they see them, they might say, well, Christians hate me. Or even worse, they'll think, Christ hates me. Friend, that could, that just can't be farther from the truth. I, I don't, I know there's some people who do a lot of things we don't like in the world, but listen to me. There is no one that's unimportant to God. And there is no one that he wants, wants to see damned to hell for eternity. That verse we memorize as children, John 3.16, says it right. For God so loved the world. God doesn't want to see anyone perish, but he wants to see all people come to repentance. To make things right. I guess I could paraphrase it this way. James 3.10 tells us, out of the same mouth, and I might say on the same Facebook page, comes praise and cursing and brothers and sisters that shouldn't be. And if I just stung you, know that I've also stung myself. And I say this because I know it firsthand. I learned it the hard way. It haunts me to this day. There are people in this room who will hold me accountable and they can testify that what I'm about to tell you is God's honest truth. See, I grew up in the age of Bobby Knight basketball. <laughs> loved it. I loved it. I mean, I was a Hoosier fan through and through. But doing that, we grew up in an era where yelling at referees was part of the sport. And in Indiana, in particular, there's a whole vernacular we have of, of sayings and idioms and things we throw out that are just cutting, that just really jab the referees. Of course, they hear them so often, maybe not so deep, but, but we think about that, and we, we say those things when we get mad, or at least I did in games. And there was an occasion where I was helping to coach a group of boys, many of them from our own church, and they were good, and we wanted to win, and I wanted us to win. But there was one referee, when he would come on the court, it just seemed like every game, every call he made seemed to go against us. And boy, I didn't like that. And I'm not proud of it, but man, I'd stand up there and all those things we could say to cut someone down, I said them. By the time that season had come to its end, I mean, I tell you, when I walked in and saw he was refing a game, I knew it was going to be a rough night, and when he saw me, he knew it was going to be a bad night too. Season ended. We won. When I first came to Ogleville, there was a member who attended here, like a lot of other women in our church, who um, their husbands don't come to church with them. And a lot of you, you've, you've said, hey, would you pray, pray for my husband? I, I want my husband to come to church. We pray for him. He, sometimes they say he doesn't know Jesus, or maybe they say he's been away from the church for a long time, but pray for my husband to come to church. And, and we've, we've seen some wonderful things happen, where husbands after 10 or even 15 years come to faith, and, and they start worshiping with their wives. And, 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 and I won't pick on anybody, but if you were to be here after the services sometimes, those men that didn't come to church for 15 years, they're making up for it, because they stay an extra 15, 20 minutes talking to everybody. It's a beautiful thing. Well, there was a lady who had said to me for years, she said, you know, pastor, just pray for my husband. I'd like for him to come worship with me at church. Well, you know, this is going. One Sunday morning, she was so excited. My husband's here. And I couldn't wait to meet him. 
You know what it was. It was the referee. <laughs> I'd laugh with you, but it, it crushed me on the inside. Because I knew when he saw me, he wasn't going to come back. And that was on me. Praise be to God that no word from the Lord shall ever fail. That the scriptures are proven true when we read these words. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. By the grace of God, some of the damage that I did has been able to be undone over the last decade. But things still aren't where I wish they could be. But I had fallen into the same trap that a lot of you are falling into on Facebook or in conversations. We get so frustrated, we think we're right, that we allow ourselves to say things that Jesus would never say, and to write things that Jesus would never write, and to act in ways that Jesus would never act. We allow ourselves to have a mind of flesh, not a mind of Christ. You see, when we embrace the mind of Jesus, we think differently. But I'm aware that even now, there are some who will say, well, Marty, that's all well and good, but I have a right to free speech, and I'm going to speak my mind. It's my right I suspect we're all tempted to say things like that. You do have a right to believe what you want, but what you believe might not be right. <laughs> but yeah, it's your right, and you're entitled to it. But let me warn you, if that's how you're feeling, be careful, friend, for sin is crouching at your door. For if your mind is renewed, and you have the mind of Christ, you must also have the attitude of Christ. And this is the attitude of Christ. Paul describes it beautifully in Philippians chapter 2. This is what Jesus thought about his rights and what he did, even though he had the right to do all kinds of other things, his actions were very different. Listen to what Paul writes about Jesus as an attitude in his mind. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Don't look just to your own interest, but each of you should look to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus was in the very nature of God. Yet he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to death on a cross. He gave up his rights. 
for us. He put our needs ahead of his rights. And if we have the mind of Christ, sometimes we'll put the needs of others ahead of our rights. You see, this is what we mean by looking at things through the lens of faith. When we look at things through the lens of faith, everything changes. When we have a mature mind, the Christ-like mind, how we see the world changes. A a spirit-filled mind doesn't see things the same way the world sees them. Consider, if you would, from the Old Testament for a moment, even before Jesus, some spirit-filled men who saw a horrific circumstance in front of them. But because they looked at that circumstance through the lens of faith, they make one of the most bold and powerful proclamations that's made in all the Bible. The stories found in Daniel chapter 3, you know these men as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was a king, Nebuchadnezzar, who had built a great idol to himself and made everyone bow down and worship it, and these men wouldn't worship it. And so there's this moment they're called to account for their actions. And they say this to the king. I love these from Daniel 3, verse 6. King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, for if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, because we have the eyes of faith, we know the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, (laughs) we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. If you know the rest of the story, you know that God shows up in some really powerful ways in that story, and he does spare them and protect them. But whether he had or not, their entire circumstance was changed because of how they saw life and death through the lens of faith. And I want you to know, we face some tough things around us, but when we see them through that lens of faith, we will see them very differently than the world sees them. Sometimes people see circumstances very differently. People in the community certainly have that challenge. And in the day of Jesus, people thought that Jesus couldn't do something good because he was from Nazareth. And they said, has anything good ever come from Nazareth? Of the disciples, people around them said, What's with these guys? They're unschooled and unlearned men. What, they, what can they possibly have to say that matters? But we know when we look at things through the lens of faith that God uses little shepherd boys from obscure villages to do great things and that he can use unschooled and unlearned men to confound the wisest people on the planet. And if we see things through the eyes of Jesus, we really will see people differently. Remember that woman at the well? divorced five times, shacking up with a man in the story. When the world saw her, they had a lot of words for that person, a lot of opinions about her, and they did not see much good in that woman. But when Jesus saw her, he saw an evangelist who would lead her community to faith. That's what she did. If we have the mind of Christ, we will see people in our communities, on the basketball court, in the workplace, 
in the cyberspace, in the world, we're going to see them differently. What else could I say? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hear the word of the Lord today. Amen. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we come today, well, we come asking for forgiveness for the times we've not represented you well, and uh, for the times that we have allowed the fleshly mind, the worldly mind, to overcome the mind of Christ in us. The Apostle Paul has asked us to be transformed, and I pray that you will transform my thinking, transform our thinking. And Lord, don't just transform our thinking, but help, help us as we become salt and light in this world. Help us to transform our world so that fewer and fewer people think with the worldly mindset, and more and more adopt the mind of Christ. Father, I pray you'll Help us to undo any damage that we've done with careless words or careless posts or things we might have said or done. I know that you can make all things new. I know you can work for good, even out of those things that we have failed in. So, Father, we pray your spirit will move among us and work for good in each of us as individuals, in us as a church collective, and Christians throughout the world. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. If you're here today and you've never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I invite you to make that decision right now as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.